Yeah, it's been over a month. Yeah, we missed all of spooky season. It sucks. We know. But we're back now, and we have something special for you today. In the late 60s, there were numerous reports of UFOs and other unexplained phenomena in Point Pleasant, West Virginia, with the most famous of these being the mysterious Mothman. This story is going to get wild, and it has a lot going on, so join us as we delve into the events that may or may not have transpired in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. I'm Wes. And I'm Jake. And welcome back to the Halftowns Podcast Season 2! We're back. Have, Season two, yep. apparently. It's the first time hearing of it. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, I keep forgetting um, Discord has that, like, slight, um, not echo, but lag. No, so there's a, yeah. a pause between us. I, I keep forgetting it because I can yeah. subtly hear myself on your on your end, and it just kind of surprises me when I hear it later than it really is i think the gain on my mic is off today because i was like super loud earlier and there's there's still a bit of an echo so i don't know what's going on there um, it, i mean <laughs> i almost said it's fine on my end <laughs> yeah it's fine told me numerous times that apparently i my opinion here doesn't fucking matter <laughs> okay so the reason i said that is because discord is pulling directly from the mic while audacity is pulling it from the software that i uh put the two inputs together with and that software is outputting some crazy shit with regards to my voice right now so um anyway you just made me zone out okay thank you wes um <laughs> Okay, so... Man, I, uh... Wish I had a Coke right now. I But, like, the thing is, I can't have, like, normal soda anymore. It has to be zero sugar. I don't like the taste of normal soda anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, Are we just having no, like, pre-recorded oh, conversation? Or jumping I had into some it? planned. Oh, oh well, then drop it. I don't know. Oh, well, I was, no, 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 I, I, meant, I meant, like, I like drop it in, like, say it. opening my mouth I meant, like, to say it, it and the, you were like, you know, it was the wrong I can really I go for a Coke right now. <laughs> okay, Wes, do me a favor, do me a favor. Skip what? over page two, okay? Just do everyone a favor and skip over page two. Um, right now? Yeah, go go directly to page three. On the On the, on the notes I sent you. Which are barely even notes. It's essentially See, a bulleted only, list. Yeah, I was gonna say there's three pages. <laughs> yeah, just go to page three, Wes. I promise you. This is I'm an on page three. List, but I have so <sighs> it's rant time, Wes. Get ready. So in I'm trying not to read this, ahead. Okay, just you know what? You could just actually minimize the the notes for now. Um, so in preparation. Okay, fine. 
for this episode, I read the book The Mothman Prophecies by John Keel. Now, sorry, that's a that's one of my roommates using the bathroom. Um, for some reason, John Keel is just one of the craziest authors I've ever had the privilege of Sorry reading. about that. You okay? Very sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I turned my head too much and I pulled the microphone cord and the microphone slammed real hard onto the metal part of its base. So I don't know how loud that was to the poor listeners. Dude, I didn't hear it. I'm sure as hell was fucking loud to me. Oh, yeah, it was I loud to me. Oh, maybe, okay, maybe continue. Maybe it peaked so hard. Anyway, so, so, wow. Like, words cannot explain how weird this author is. First off, if you had told me before I read this book just how fucking confusing this book would be to take notes for, I'd have laughed in your fucking face. I'd have been like, it's a book. How hard could it be? Oh my God. So for some reason, he wrote this book like it was the Christopher Nolan movie Memento. Wes, what did you, you just know say? what it means? He wrote it like the Christopher Nolan movie Memento. No, I know what it means. I don't know. Hold yeah. on. No, 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 no. That right there. That right there. Say that again. Say it real slow. Say again. First part. He wrote it like the Christopher Nolan film Memento? No, wrong. Wrong? R wrong. It's Memento. Okay. All right. Thank you, Wes. You're saying mo, like yeah, like thank mo. You. That's how I've always said it. That's how I've always said it. You dick. <laughs> oh my god. I'm okay. just saying. Okay, so he wrote it like the Christopher Nolan book Memento. All the fuck out of order. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. All right. It just sounds. Um, it sounds like wrong when you say it like that. Just say it normally. Memento. How you would normally say it, like the wrong way, but the way you would say it normally. All right. Just shut up. All right. So. He'll go off on these crazy fucking tangents that have nothing to do with Mothman or even Point Pleasant, which is the town in which it happens. And it's fucking wild. And he claims some really crazy stuff. So, first off, he called Eric Von Daniken's ancient astronaut theories. You know Eric Von Daniken, the guy from Ancient Aliens, the one mom watches? Which one? There's like six guys He's on like, that per episode. He's the one who's like Nordic. Or I mean, Swedish or Finnish or something. All you had to say, like, all you had to say was ancient aliens. I picture, well, like, this, I picture the guy, general, I like person. I think Eric von Daniken was the one who like really brought the ancient astronaut theory to popularity. So, his book Chariots of the Gods, the one Mom read, Wes, uh, when she was in like high school. Uh, John Keel called his his ancient astronaut theories quote simplistic. So I was reading this and I'm like. Wait, is he roasting Eric Von Daniken? I mean, that's always a plus in my book. Until, of course, it wasn't. Because his he's calling it simplistic because Eric Von Daniken did not go far enough. John Keel... Okay, Wes, I'm going to say something. We might need to cut it, okay? We're at seven minutes whoa, and whoa, two seconds whoa, in. Okay. Whoa. Either John Keel or myself has gone crazy in the time that I have read this book. It would not surprise me if John Keel was a mentally unstable man who needed to be institutionalized. At all. It would not surprise me if John Keel was a eugenist. It would not surprise me at all. John Keel is a fucking crazy person. So, first off, Wes, do me a favor. Scroll up to page two and read the second bullet point. Oh, Don't read okay. it out loud. Just read you it told me in your head. You told me to... All right, hold on. You told me... All right, hold on. The second one? 
The second one. You see what I'm seeing, Wes? You see what I'm seeing? No, Wes, I mean, what if I tell you that's there, every is there any other, other sentence? No Dude, way. dude, yo. Dude, this guy puts N-words in his book like they're Pokemon. Oh, a new, oh, new N-word has appeared. God. Each one crazier than the last. Dude. What does that mean? <laughs> what is it? Because he's like, it, it's like, it's it's so obviously not an okay word, but it's right. not the traditional one. It's like he's trying to be scientific, <laughs> right? With, with slurs, what? So he also uses the big no no o word for Asians. Um, oh my god, yeah, Jake! Yeah. Why did you read this book? Just dude, I'll, I'll just watch like, the movie it's, tonight. It's the go to piss myself. It, dude, it, it's the go to book on Mothman. Um, he also claims that, like, when people get chills when they're having, like, a paranormal experience, it's the result of microwave radiation. Because, hear me out, infrared radiation produces heat, therefore microwave radiation, which is lower on the spectrum, should produce cold. It's easy, except all radiation produces heat. It's fucking radiation! <coughs> I mean, this is so... Obviously false because Sorry. there is such a thing as microwave <coughs> ovens. It can't do the exact opposite of what he just claimed it was doing. Anyway. Okay, so this guy, this is the guy we're taking our information from. Yes. Wes. All right. It would you did this. One bit. So we might have to break this up into like three separate parts. The first two parts will what? be like the encounters with Mothman and like the UFOs people saw in the time. And then the third part's gonna have to be all the men in black related encounters because that is like yes. 50% of this book. And again, not in chronological Yeah, but order, it's so fun. So I have to go through the book bit by bit, fucking cataloging exactly when in the timeline this supposedly took place. And half the time he doesn't fucking tell you. He's just like, yeah, and after now, that, this are happened. You... Sorry. Are you gonna talk about um, the smiling man? Yes, we will. And we should put a picture of that out on right. the social medias before before the episode ends. Fuck that. Fuck that. all of that. Nope. Nope. I'm good. <laughs> well, Wes, I run the social medias, so I'm going to be doing that. Um, God knows I'll have the time. All right. So, um, please don't read the rest of these, because the rest of these will, will, will show up later. I minimized it, dude. Good. Uh... <laughs> Okay, so a couple things. In this book, he makes a lot of generalizations about supposed patterns in the phenomena, some of which he draws from his own experience, and some of which he just says, like it is a known fact. Um, for, one, for one thing, he says that if you examine any UFO or paranormal data, most of it will happen on Wednesdays. And I was like... What? what oh shit, Jake, it's still Wednesday! Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, it's a Wednesday! Holy shit! But, um... I was like, okay, I guess I'll check this. I went back to my notes from the uh, Skinwalker Ranch episode, and I took some of the biggest, like, uh, I took most of the paranormal activity that was dated, and I looked up, like, you know, for example, November 2nd, 1997, day of the week. Found out that most of them were actually on Mondays. So, sorry, John Gill, oh, that's got him. in the You're an Idiot column. Anyway, he also makes the claim that most, like, alien abduction or like contact 
type situations involve women with who are menstruating like you know like they're on their period Wes, in case you didn't know this um i know what that uh, thanks thank jake you. i i'm sorry i just wanted to i just wanted to make you look like an idiot um but he doesn't like he doesn't ever say why he thinks this he just says it's like one of the crazy coincidences and then at one point like there's there's a point in which uh a man in black asks like people in this in in point pleasant they they ask about like the ages of their children and he writes always the children with them and i'm like this is the first i've fucking heard of it like anyway yeah he also and this is the last thing i i want to mention before we start he claims that witnesses uh claimed they saw a symbol that looked like an uppercase k he uh he claimed that it was an uppercase sigma now wes I'm going to send you a picture of an uppercase sigma. Please don't. And I want you to tell me if you would ever, in your life, mistake that for a K. For a capital K. Sending you on Discord. What are you sending it over? What? <laughs> that looks like a fucking E. Right? That's an... <laughs> Dude, it's just the letter that, E. I, was, I read that and I was like, what? And then he writes, he writes, Sigma is often used to denote things scientists do not know. Which is only true for the lowercase Sigma, which looks even less like a K. And that's because it it's often used for uncertainty. And I am sitting here reading this, wondering if this man knows a fucking thing about what he's talking about. A spoiler alert, he does not. I was reading this like, am I going fucking crazy? But anyway, um, I'm now going to start. We're going to start going through uh, some of some of what he says in the book, some of the encounters he he interviewed people and heard about these. Um, Wes, do you have any thoughts you'd like to you'd like to say before we start? Because once once I get started, it's going to be hard to stop me. Thoughts just in general? I mean, like yeah, like on on John Keel, ideally. Um, so looking more at this, like if you, it's easier to flip it sideways and see an M or just see an E, but I guess Jake, if you flip it, like if you mirror it, if you mirror it, you can kind of see it, I guess. Yeah, I, I really just don't see how it's possible that they, that they would mistake that for a K and I don't understand how he seriously considered that as a possibility. Anyway. Yeah, um, I do think that's pretty fucking stupid. Ow. <laughs> Dude, he, he is, he's a character, to say the least. Um, I mean, I'm going to read basically just directly quoting the book a lot for this because I couldn't be fucking bothered to take notes from his asinine goddamn writing. Um, yeah, I read this book for, for context to our listeners in the space of like three nights. I broke it up into three parts and I read them night by night. Half the time, I had no idea what he was talking about, and not like in a, like in it was a especially complicated sort of way, but just because he told it so out of order, you wouldn't learn who someone was or what they saw until after you learned about the aftermath of what they saw, which like is fine if you're writing a book for like you know the Cannes Film Festival, but 
God damn it, I just said that. You're writing a book for the Cannes Film Festival. Oops. I didn't want to look, I didn't want <laughs> to call you out on that, for, but I really could believe you just Cannes fucking Film festival. There we go. A little out of it tonight. Okay. Um but it's it doesn't work so great when you're trying to actually convey information. Um so all right, we're here we go. I'm going to I'm going to wing the hell out of this. I told Wes when when we started it cuz I was I was writing I didn't start writing this really much until today. Um and I told I told you I was like I was like, "Wes, do you want like an actual outline or do you want me to just wing it?" And what did you say to me, Wes? Do you remember? Um What I say, you're writing your choice. Yeah, you did. And then you said, but you know which one I prefer. And then and then I was yeah. like, all right, <laughs> let's get wild. Um, okay. So John Keel claims early on in the book that once you begin to document paranormal phenomena, you develop a belief about it. He's, he claims that this is something you can't help but do, which I, I don't necessarily disagree with. Um, but yeah, once you've okay. developed I, I that, that belief about what is behind it, what is causing it, the phenomena begins to reinforce that belief. So what he's basically saying is that the phenomena is intelligent and is purposefully leading you uh, to, to reinforce whatever conclusion you've already come to. And before reading this book, I, I would have been like, how did you come to that conclusion? You're a crazy person. After reading this book, I can see how someone who maybe, get ready to edit this out, may not have been mentally all there might have, you know, come to that belief that everything was out to get him and it was trying to fool him. So yeah, he goes into detail about some of the other myths around the world that seem to corroborate the evidence of some man-like being with wings. He calls them Garudas and notes that they are often seen in areas with a lot of luminous activity, basically meaning lights that can't be explained, typically in the form of UFOs. Okay, so let's get into our first uh, chronological story that he for some reason neglected to put in chronological order it's like he just grabbed one of these files at random and just went through them that way but whatever um if he had files I, I don't personally believe he did uh so i'm gonna go to page 20 that's how i'm gonna do this it's like a choose your own adventure book okay in march 1966 reading from the book uh a shapely housewife whom I will call Mrs. Kelly, because she asked that her name be withheld, wonder why, was waiting in her car for her children near the Point Pleasant School when she saw an unbelievable apparition low in the sky. It looked like a glistening metal disc and was hovering directly above the school playground. A door-like aperture was open at its rim, and there was a man standing outside. He was not standing in the doorway, he was standing outside the object in midair. He wore a silvery skin-tight costume and had very long silvery hair. He, he was looking down into the schoolyard intently. She watched him for a long moment until her children bounded up to the car. When she looked again, the man and object were gone. She decided not to tell any, anyone about this strange vision, attaching religious significance to it. Um, so let me see what's next. I have to go through this like a choose adventure. Choose your own adventure list. Okay. That summer... Mrs. Mary Heyer was driving along the Ohio side of the river. This is the river that runs through Point Pleasant, West Virginia. When a mm. sudden glint in the sky attracted her attention. Quote, 
At first, I thought it was a plane, end quote, she recalled. Then I got a better look at it. It was perfectly round. I couldn't make out what it was, but I didn't give it any thought at the time. Another round object chose to hover above Tiny's restaurant, which is a dine-in restaurant uh, just outside Point Pleasant, uh, that summer, where it was seen by a number of customers, including the wife of a lo local police officer. Tiny stands on the corner of the street where the McDaniels live. The McDaniel family would later serve as the focus for many of the strange manifestations. Uh, so not one person bothered to report a UFO sighting to the law or press in Point Pleasant, although there were many such sightings all summer long. Um, yeah, so a little bit of UFO activity. No Mothman yet. Uh, apparently, also, every night at 8 p.m., a mysterious light would cross the sky over Point Pleasant going from north to south every night, 8 p.m. It was so routine, the people who saw it, Thought it was an airplane just because of how, like, on schedule it was every time. Okay. Okay. So a National Guardsman was working outside the National Guard Armory on the edge of Point Pleasant when he saw a figure perched on the limb of a tree beyond the high fence. At first, he thought it looked like a man, but after he studied it for a while, he decided it was some kind of bird, the biggest bird he had ever seen. He went to call some friends, and when they came, the bird was gone. So that that took place, uh, apparently, November 1st, 1966. Okay, now we have November 2nd, 1966, which is... On November 2nd, 1966, an old man and another workman were driving home to Point Pleasant from their job near Marietta, Ohio, on Interstate 77. As they neared Parkersburg, West Virginia, an elongated object appeared low in the sky and descended directly in front of them. They stopped their car, and a man emerged from the object and walked over to them. He looked like a normal man and was grinning broadly. He wore a black coat and kept his arms folded with his hands out of sight under his armpits. The witness rolled his window down, and it was a very brief conversation. The stranger asked the pair who they were, where they were from, where they were going, and what time was it. Then he strolled back to the dark cylinder, and it rose quickly into the chill, drizzling <coughs> sky. Anything Does it? Do you one? have in there his? I forget his name. What was his name? We'll get to that. Um. Oh. Okay. All right. I remember. Yeah. So. No, but fuck that. No. Nope. Uh. -uh. <laughs> So, the two men had a strong emotional reaction to the seemingly pointless encounter. They debated whether they should tell anybody, deciding against it, but the Point Pleasant resident found himself suffering from insomnia, and when he finally slept, he had strange nightmares. He started to hit the bottle, something very unusual for him. So, this next part is when Mary Heyer, uh, essentially a, a journalist in Point Pleasant who was working very closely with John, um... We're going to get to kind of her perspective because she was the one who took this story. So, Miss Hire listened to his story nonplussed and made a few notes. A day or so later, the man's son called on her and asked her not to print the story. Several weeks later, she repeated the story to me and we called the man on her office phone. He verified the details and then said, Look, don't use my name. I don't want to get involved in this thing. That scientist fella told me. What scientist? John asked. A couple of weeks after this thing happened, a scientist from Ohio came to see us. He told us it would be better if we forgot the whole thing. 
How did he hear about it? How did he find you? Damned if I know. Did he identify himself? Sure, but I can't remember his name. But he seemed to know what he was talking about. <laughs> so, Keel says that he would have ignored the story, the entire story from this old man, were it not for one mm-hmm. jarring fact. The same thing had happened that same night on the same road to another West Virginian. Unlike the Two Point Pleasant residents, he had gone to the police with his story. A press conference was held, and he was catapulted into the never-never land of the UFO, UFO contactees, the center of one of the biggest UFO stories of 1966. Let me just check to make sure. Whoa. Biggest of 66, you say? Holy shit. By the way, I just want to mention, when it started getting real ominous, the the dishwasher made its little, its little noise, but I couldn't quite hear it. So I just heard this beeping in the kitchen, and I started getting real freaked out because we're talking about UFOs. Wes, it took me a minute to realize it's even more freaked out by unexplained beeping because that is a huge part of the story. Ah, why do I fucking do this to myself? (laughs) Yeah. It's on Wednesday more pitches. It's Thursday. The funny thing is, oh yeah, it's officially Thursday. It's like twelve oh four. I'm safe. Wes, the funny thing is. Uh, in this book, John Keel basically suggests that some people are more likely to have the paranormal become attracted to them. Wes, of the two of us, that's 100% you. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> Wes. <laughs> Wes. <laughs> oh, shit, I think he got up and walked away. Oh, man. Wes. That's it. We'll change the podcast. That's it. I just, I had a great idea, Jake. I think we should make a news podcast instead. <laughs> no. Half talentless news podcast. We can't go back to that. We can't go back to, I mean, uh, no, we've never done that before. Um, Jake, anyway. I can't, like, I can't, dude, I'm, <laughs> I, I don't like this because I'm, where I'm sitting in the living room, I, oh, Jesus, fuck. I have the, the, the doors in front of me, so the glass reflection, then the TV reflection, and then. I can like cabin corner with the doorway, so no matter where I'm looking, I can tech, I can see what's behind me. I don't like this anymore. Okay, we should stop. we should talk about something Wes, different. Let me tell you. Let's play Fortnite, Jake. Okay, we can play Fortnite after this. Was one of the stories takes place 0.2 miles from my current location. What? So, yeah. yeah, one of them takes place in Adelphi, Maryland, which I looked up. He's very, very close to me, like within walking distance. Adelphi, yeah, Adelphi Road is the one you take to get on yeah. and off campus no, I, from, I from the way we went. Yeah. <clears throat> so, oh. Shut up. You're not the only one who's got something on the line here. Right? Oh, but yeah, but I'm, <laughs> I'm closer to Goatman. Like, this is rough. You are closer to... Well, are you? No. Goatman's in yes. Prince George's yes. County, Wes. yes. Where do you think I am? No, he's not. In oh, Prince he's George's good. County. Oh, he isn't. He is in Prince George's. What was closer to me? Someone was closer to me. The Snallygaster. Nah, I think it was something else. Anyway. <laughs> okay. okay. All right. So I'm about to read basically an entire chapter. So get ready. Okay. All right. Hold on. All right, go ahead. At 7 p.m. on November 2nd, 1966, 
Woodrow Derenberger was heading home in his panel truck after a long, hard day on the road. The weather was sour, chilly, and rainy. And as he drove up a long hill outside of Parkersburg on Interstate 77, a sudden crash sounded in the back of his truck. He snapped on his interior lights and looked back. A sewing machine had fallen off the top of a stereo, but there didn't seem to be any real damage. A car swept up behind him and passed him. Another vehicle seemed to be following it. He eased his foot on the accelerator. He had been speeding slightly and thought it might be a police car. The vehicle, a black blob in the dark, drew alongside him, cut in front, and slowed. Woody Derenberger gaped in amazement at the thing. It wasn't an automobile, but was shaped like an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney, flaring at both ends, narrowing down to a small neck, and then enlarging in a great bulge in the center. It was a charcoal gray. He slammed on his brakes as the object turned crossways, blocking the road, stopping only eight or ten feet from it. A door slid open on the side of the thing, and a man stepped out. I didn't hear an audible voice, Woody said later. I just had a feeling, like I knew what this man was thinking. He wanted me to roll down my window. The stranger was about five feet ten inches tall, with long dark hair combed straight back. His skin was heavily tanned, grinning broadly, his arms crossed, and his hands tucked under his armpits. He walked to the panel truck. He was wearing a dark top coat. Underneath it, Woody could see some kind of garment made of glistening greenish material, almost metallic in appearance. Do not be afraid. The grinning man did not speak out loud. Woody sensed the words. We mean you no harm. I come from a country much less powerful than yours. He asked for Woody's name. Woody told him. My name is Cold. I sleep Why the f- and bleed even as you do. Well, Why are you again. doing that voice? <laughs> Why are you doing a voice? Because it's a mind voice. Stop doing a voice. Man. Okay, all right, all right. It's not a mind voice. <laughs> it's a predator all voice. Right, Stop right. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Always the children with these aliens. <laughs> Mr. Cold nodded towards the lights <laughs> at, of Parkersburg in the distance and asked what kind of place it was. Woody tried to explain it was a center for business and homes, a city. In his world, Cold explained, such places were called gatherings. While this telepathic conversation was taking place, the chimney-shaped object ascended and hovered some 40 or 50 feet above the road. Other cars came along the road and passed them. Cold told Woody to report the encounter to the authorities, promising to come forward at a later date to confirm it. After a few minutes of aimless generalities, Cold announced he would meet Woody again soon. The object descended, the door opened, Cold entered it, and it rose quickly and silently into the night. When he got home, Derenberger was in a very distraught state. His wife urged him to call the Parkersburg police. They seemed to accept his story without question and asked if he needed a doctor. The next day, he was questioned at length by the city and state police. The story appeared in the local press and on radio and television. People who had driven that same route the night before came forward to confirm that they had seen a man speaking to a driver of a panel truck stopped on the highway. Mrs. Frank Huggins and her two children had reportedly stopped their car and watched the object soar low over the highway minutes after Woody watched it depart. Another young man said the object had frightened him out of its wits when it hovered over his car and flashed a powerful blinding light on him. Woodrow Derenberger became a super celebrity. Crowds of people gathered at his farm every night, hoping to glimpse a spaceship. His phone rang day and night. He switched to an unlisted number, but within a short time, the calls began again. Prank calls? Threatening him if he didn't shut up? 
calls that consisted of nothing except eerie electronic sounds and code-like beeps. Mr. Cold kept his promise. He returned. Okay, so what's next? Aha, November 4th. Oh, wait. Wait, what? Hold on. Oh, okay. Actually, no, I think I made a mistake. Aha. Okay. On November 4th, Derenberger was riding with a co-worker on Route 7, outside Parkersburg, when he felt a tingling sensation in his forehead. Then thoughts from Mr. Cold began to spring full-blown into his mind. Cold explained that he was from the planet of Lanulos, which was in the galaxy of Ganymede. Lanulos, he said, was very like the Earth, with flora, fauna, and seasons. He was married to a lady named Kimmy and had two sons. Folks on Lanulos had a life expectancy of 125 to 175 Earth years. Naturally, there was no war, poverty, hunger, or misery on Lanulos. When the transmission was completed, Cold urged Woody to brace himself because withdrawal would be painful. Woody felt a sharp pain in his temple and nearly passed out. Um, I didn't want to include this just yet, but yeah, I, I won't. There's there's a bit about some men in black activity that I happened. Mean, look. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, I mean, besides the fact that that all is gotta be complete bullshit i just i do have one question legit question what what if he starts to feel a tingling sensation in his asshole what's <laughs> what's injured cold doing then withdrawal will not be as painful what's he doing insertion, insertion, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man you think they use never mind never mind, never fucking, mind. what is it lamulose or something lamulose so it should be pointed out which John Keel does actually point out later. <clears throat> Ganymede, not a galaxy. It's actually one of Jupiter's moons. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, Wes, there is one that takes place in Salem, West Virginia, but I think it's fairly important, so I would like to include it. Are you are you willing to take okay. a brief detour from, from Point Pleasant? From these crazy assholes? Yes, absolutely. Okay, all right. Got to go to page... 28. Oh, I'm on page 28. Let's go. All right. Okay. All right. I'm going to read directly from the book, which gives the context at the same time I'm giving said context. This is the beginning of a new chapter. I don't know any more of you do than you do until we get to a certain sentence when we all know everything. Got it? I don't think that made a whole lot of sense. Uh, okay. Quote, old bandit's gone, the six-year-old boy said sadly. Quote, mister, do you think you can bring him back? Gray Barker shifted his large frame uneasily. The boy's father, Newell Partridge, ordered the child off to bed. It's all so weird, Partridge complained. I just can't figure it out. Barker smiled understandingly. Ever since he had investigated the Flatwoods monster back in 1952, he had been listening to weird stories. A pioneer UFOologist, Gray had made many outstanding contributions to the subject. He had also managed to make himself a somewhat controversial figure in a field riddled with controversies and characters. The diehard fanatics who dominated Sauceriana, why you would use that word, I don't know, during the early years were a humorless lot, and Gray's mischievous wit baffled and enraged them. At times it baffled me too. This towering bear of a man was very hard to read, but his investigations were always thorough and uncompromising. Now he was sitting in the home of Newell Partridge near Salem, West Virginia, talking about an errant television set and a missing dog. 
On the evening of November 14, 1966, Bandit, a big muscular German shepherd, had dashed into the darkness and vanished. It was about eight, it was about 10.30 that night, sorry, and suddenly the TV blanked out, Partridge said. A real fine herringbone Pat Tan appeared on the tube, and at the same time the set started a loud whining noise, winding up to a high pitch, peaking and breaking off, as if you were on a musical scale and you went as high up as you could go and came back down and repeated it. It sounded like a generator winding up. It reminded me of a hand-field generator that one might use for portable radio transmission in an emergency. Outside on the porch, Bandit began wailing. Partridge picked up a flashlight and went outside to investigate. Quote, the dog was sitting on the end of the porch, howling down toward the hay barn in the bottom. Partridge continued, I shined the light in that direction, and I picked up two red circles, or eyes, which looked like bicycle reflections. Still, there was something about those eyes that is difficult to explain. When I was a kid, I night hunted all the time, and I certainly know what animal eyes look like, such as raccoon, dog, and cat eyes in the dark. These were much larger, for one thing. It's a good length of a football field to the hay barn, probably about 150 yards. Still, those eyes showed up huge for that distance. As soon as the flashlight picked out the eyes, Bandit snarled and ran toward them. A cold chill swept over the man, and he felt a wave of fear which kept him from following the dog. That night, he slept with a loaded gun beside his bed. The next day, he went looking for the dog. Quote, I walked out to the barn, looking for tracks. Here and there, I could see Bandit's paw prints. These were rather easy to find, for he was a heavy dog and the area was muddy. At the approximate position of the eyes, he found a large number of dog tracks. Those tracks were going in a circle, as if the dog had been chasing his tail, Partridge explained. Though he never did that, and that was that. I couldn't... And I, I couldn't see them go off anywhere, though I did see a series of fresh tracks which apparently led to, from the porch to the spot where he ran in circles. There were no other tracks of any kind. Bandit simply vanished into thin air. I think that the hardest thing to explain is the feeling involved, except to say it was an eerie feeling. I have never had this sort of feeling before. It was as if you knew something was wrong, but couldn't place just what it was. Sudden fear? Eerie feelings? Something unnatural was stalking the hills of West Virginia that November. That fear would come, become contagious. Those frightening red eyes would settle in Point Pleasant, while Mr. Cold and his crew of cosmic zanies would spread their propaganda in mineral wells, forsaking their flying lantern chimney for a black Volkswagen. This guy's fucking language, dude. I what know, dude. the hell? Like, oh it's... my god. I'm trying so hard to be like, oh yeah, big, terrifying fucking creature, you know, eating the dog. He gone, but like, it's... What What is this wording? The tube? Bro, go home. Like, <laughs> God. Go home. <laughs> this was written in 76, by the way. It makes it worse. I was being like, man, 1965. No, this is a decade okay. later. It's just not... A, like, there are a couple times, we'll, we'll talk about it in The Men in Black, where he, like, actively tells the person who saw The Men in Black to contact their local police and see if anyone who was, like not mentally stable was in the area but he didn't say it in those terms he used like some really not okay terms you know what i mean um, yeah jake I, I i can picture it don't worry yeah this guy's a it's pretty, pretty this guy is insane yeah he's, he's jesus christ dude holy fucking shit this is oh sensory. my god holy fuck jake i had the the um Jesus, the microphone on the side of my headset was down a little bit. I didn't realize it. So it was like on my peripheral. I turned my head so that the light 
hit that like the plastic so all i saw was something right here next to my face for a second and i oh man i i i oof, i think i shit myself that was <laughs> oh my god that scared the shit out of me i caught my breath oh fuck why are we doing this it is it is midnight we should well, be Wes, playing Fortnite or something. Here's what, here's what we should be doing, right? We, we play Fortnite after this, and then while I write part two, you write our next episode that you're writing. I mean, while I write Oh, yes, I am writing. I mean, yeah, I thought you were writing. Of course I am. I'm, pro I'm a professional, Jake. I mean, you were supposed to write this episode, but whatever. Um, okay. I'm a professional, Jake. Okay. So, here's something that I, I need to point out before this next part we're going to read. Um, during World War II, Point Pleasant had uh, a manufacturing site about seven miles out of town um, where, like, artillery and high explosives were produced. Those factories were shut down after World War II, but because it was the middle of World War II and, you know, you have to worry about bombings, um, they're, <clears> like, <throat> partially submerged. So the, the site was covered... It was, like, they were covered with fake grass and, I guess, a little bit of real grass um, so that from above, they were they just looked like hills. But since... By, by the time we come around to Mothman, um, most of that grass and foliage was gone. So it was essentially just like these white mounds in this factory that were all dilapidated and abandoned. And of course, West, it's like a, a quarry, like right? N no, it's not like, not like a quarry. Like a quarry. Am I like thinking, is there, there, is there an actual, yeah. Is there an actual quarry in this story? There is a quarry. Yeah. So at some point, I, that's, book, that's what I'm thinking of. Never mind. Quarry, but I don't think this is it. Um, so like, these are like igloo-looking buildings connected by underground tunnels. Oh, camouflage yeah, okay, I got you. No, no, we're, we're yeah. cool. Okay. So, most of, since it's kind of an abandoned area that's out of town and secluded, of course, local teenagers would go there all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. And, you know, the police would go there and kind of flash their lights in the woods and be like, all right, everyone, stop doing that. You know, as they do. Uh, stop so, stop smoking the ganja and having the sexual relations and <laughs> drinking the alcohol. Get out of there. That's what they're saying. It's the 1960s. That's, that's exactly what they're saying, yeah. And they're <laughs> dropping a few slurs in there because it's the 1960s. What? Why do we have to cut that now? No, we don't. Why did we you might. say that? <laughs> we might. Yeah, we have to cut that. <laughs> Jake, I mean, I was just picturing your your average 1960s West Virginia police officer. God forbid <laughs> I'd be a little realistic about it. You know, for that explanation alone, we're keeping that in. All right. <laughs> okay. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh... So there, there were also like some, it was also like a, it was also uh what's it? it? There was also like an archery range and like a picnic place near there, but mostly it was used like at night by teenagers. So, 
Uh, this area is called the TNT area. That's what's called TNT. Yes. Yes. Got it. Okay. So, at 11.30 p.m. on the night of November 15th, 1966, two young couples from Point Pleasant, Mr. and Mrs. Roger Scarberry and Mr. and Mrs. Steve Mollett, were driving through the TNT area in the Scarberry's 1957 Chevy. Sorry, Chevy. Well, wait, it's fine, because they're married. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, according to some people, I don't think it's okay at all, actually. God damn it. I don't think it's okay at all. Anyway. The, be- the best part is, Wes, the best part oh, is, okay. the best part is, it was a Chevy. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> the quality on that was so... <laughs> Dude, I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that, like, no one mentioned that it was a 1957 Chevy until John Keel. That was the first mention. This story was publicized like at the time, and no one mentioned the Chevy until John Keel in '76. <sighs> Holy crap, man! That was so perfectly timed. Why does it matter if it's a Chevy though? Right. Anyway, it's it's a fast car. So they were looking for friends, but no one seemed to be out that night. All of the twisting back roads were deserted. The few homes scattered among the igloos. We're dark. Okay, Wes, now we're going to get into John Keel's writing habits, which are frankly a little... Okay, Dude, I'm just going to read I it. feel like... Wes, oh, God. I'm not adding anything here. Everything I'm reading is... I just want to see a big flappy fucking Mothman. That's all I want to see is the big wings and the big eyes and the, the okay. shrieking and terrifying okay. people and murder. Like, Wes, that's what I up. want. Shit. Roger, then a strapping blonde 18-year-old, was driving. They aimlessly made the circuit of the world. Yeah, hey, yo. <laughs> returning to the old generator plant near the unlocked gates. <laughs> As they pulled alongside the plant, Linda Scarberry gasped. They all looked up into the blackness and saw two bright red circles. They were about two inches in diameter and six inches apart. Roger slammed on the brakes. What is it? Mary Millette, a strikingly attractive brunette, cried from the back seat. Again, no idea why he's including this. The lights bobbed away from the building, and the startled foursome saw they were attached to some huge animal. Quote, it was shaped like a man, but bigger, Roger said later, maybe six and a half or seven feet tall, and it had big wings folded across its back. But it was those eyes that got us, Linda declared. It had two big eyes like automobile reflectors. They were hypnotic, Roger continued. For a minute, we could only stare at it. I couldn't take my eyes off it. It was grayish in color and walked on sturdy man-like legs. It turned slowly and shuffled toward the door of the generator plant, which was ajar and hanging off its hinges. Let's get out of here, Steve yelled. Roger <laughs> stepped on the gas and they shot through the gates, spun onto the exit road, and headed for Route 62. Suddenly they saw it, or another one like it, standing on a small hill near the road. As they hurtled past it, it spread its bat-like wings and took off straight up into the air. My God, it's following us, the couple in the back seat cried. Roger swung onto 62 on two wheels. We were doing 100 miles an hour, Roger said, and that bird kept right up with us. It wasn't even flapping its wings. Hold on, real quick. If they were doing 100 miles an hour, how'd they not go back in time? Everyone knows you go back in time at 88 miles an hour, and there's no way it could have kept up with them with that. Jake. Jake. What's up? They're not in a DeLorean, Jake. 
Also, I'm like, let's not, can we please not shy away from the fact that he only described two individuals like that? Like, until he described the girl, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, why is he only describing this one dude this way? <laughs> Just wait. Just wait. Okay. Oh, fuck, man. I could hear Who let this guy sound. write a book? Dude, I don't know. I could hear it making a sound, Mrs. Millette added. It squeaks like a big mouse. It followed us right to the city limits, Roger went on. Funny thing, we noticed a dead dog by the side of the road there. A big dog. But when we came back a few minutes later, the dog was gone. Oh. Sad part of this whole story, man. Saddest part of this whole Why did you put that in there? That, oh. Because you know. You, you know, like, if he had written this, you know, now, and he included it, the I know, it can... missing, you, you'd just be like, um, r slash plot holes, there's a, there's a missing dog that doesn't no, show back up again in John Seal's Mothman prophecies. But it, Down <laughs> but it also does connect. <laughs> it does connect really well, though, that two different cooperating stories. Right? Yeah. Okay. Downvote. So, <laughs> panic-stricken, the red eyes still burning in their minds, they went directly to the Mason County Courthouse, charged into the sheriff's office, and blurted out their story to Deputy Millard Halstead. I've known these kids all their lives, Halstead told me later. They'd never been in any trouble, and they were really scared that night. I took them seriously. He hopped into a patrol car and followed Rogers back to the TNT area. At the edge of town, they noticed uh, they looked <coughs> at the dog's body. It was gone. Back at the power plant, there was no sign of the red-eyed specter. Halstead switched on his police radio, and a very loud signal blasted over the speaker, drowning out the voice of the police dispatcher in Point Pleasant. It was a loud garble, like a record <coughs> or tape recording being played at very high speed. Deputy Halstead, an experienced cop, looked taken aback but said nothing. He switched the radio off quickly and peered uncomfortably into the darkness, reluctant to really search the old building. But he was convinced. The next morning, Sheriff George Johnson, wow, that name was really hard for me to read for some reason, called a press conference. Local reporters interviewed the four witnesses. Mrs. Mary Heyer sent a story out on the AP wire, and that evening the, quote, bird was the chief, chief, was the chief topic at supper tables throughout the Ohio Valley. Some anonymous copy editor gave it a name, spun it off from the Batman comic character who was then the subject of a popular TV series. He tagged the creature... Mothman. <coughs> okay. Dun dun dun. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Wes. Come off on page thirty-four near the bottom. Okay, I'm gonna go to page thirty-four near the bottom. <coughs> ah. So, Roger and Linda Scarberry were living in a house trailer at the time of their Mothman sighting. In the week that followed, they were suddenly plagued by strange sounds around the trailer late at night. Beeps and loud garbled noises like a speeded-up phonograph record. They could not locate the source of the sounds outside or inside the trailer. Worried and frightened, they finally moved out of the trailer and settled in the basement apartment in the home of Linda's parents, Park and Maple McDaniel. Okay. Uh, okay. Here's where this shit gets wild. <coughs> November 16th. 1966. Um, long lines of cars circled the TNT area slowly. Men bristling with guns surrounded the old power plant, poking into every bush. 
There wasn't much to do in Point Pleasant, a town of 6,000 people, 22 churches, and no bar rooms, so Mothman was almost a welcome addition. A, a large red light moved around in the sky directly above the TNT area but n that night, but a few of the mon monster hunters paid any attention to it. One carload of people was watching it, however. Mr. and Mrs. Raymond Wamsley and Mrs. <coughs> Marcella Bennett and her baby daughter Tina studied it, puzzled. It wasn't an airplane. We couldn't figure out what it was, Mrs. Bennett said. She and the Wamsleys were probably the only people in the crowd who were not looking for the red-eyed creature. They were on their way to, to visit the Ralph Thomases, who lived in a neat bungalow back among the igloos. God, this is... I'm, I'm struggling here. Anyway. Mr. Thomas was the superintendent of the Trojan U.S. operations there. His wife... Uh, Trojan U.S. Is, is a company that still has, like, a couple of operations going in the TNT area. His wife, Virginia, was okay. a slender gentlewoman blessed, or cursed, with second sight. She had accurately predicted numerous <laughs> accidents and local events over the years. She was careful not to seek attention and only her friends... No, wait, 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 remarkable wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Wes, hold on. I'm reading it as written. No, 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 hold on. I just, I got it. I'm just, back it up for a minute. She is, she is, say, like, she's describing accidents quote-unquote accidents before they happen and then they magically happen and people are like oh my god she has second sight no one thinks maybe she's doing this shit <laughs> like she's just an actual sociopath i think that four young children are gonna get beat to a pulp okay we gotta we gotta cut that i went too far with that one but... okay, man. we're not cutting anything all right so oh are we not no 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 no, no. i i haven't found a single thing well there was that one thing at the beginning you wanted to cut right well, all right. I'll, I'll listen to it again. Anyway, uh, she, deeply religious, <clears throat> she went to church almost every evening, and on this night, both she and her husband were out. The Wamsleys and Mrs. Bennett found only three of the Thomas children, Ricky, Connie, and Vicky. God damn it. You... Dude, Ricky, Connie, and Vicky? Come on, man. Come on. You can't put... What do you want me to say? Them. What do you want me to yeah, say, Jake? Dude, it sounds like... What do, you want me to, like, what do you want me to say? It sounds like the CW rebooted the Powerpuff Girls now. <laughs> right. After exchanging a few words with the youngsters, they headed back to their car. Off in the distance, they could hear some trigger-happy trigger hero firing a rifle around the power plant. Suddenly, a figure stirred what? in the <laughs> darkness behind the parked car. Quote, it seemed as if it had been lying down, Mrs. Bennett told me. It rose up slowly from the ground, a big gray thing, bigger than a man with terrible glowing red eyes. Mrs. Bennett uttered a little cry, so horrified she dropped the small baby in her arms. The child began to cry, more insulted than hurt, but her mother couldn't move to pick her up again. She stood transfixed, hypnotized by the blazing red circles on the top of the towering headless figure. Its great wings unfolded slowly behind its back. Raymond Wamsley grabbed the paralyzed woman and the child, and they all ran back into the house, slammed the door, and bolted it. <laughs> there was a sound on the porch, and the two red eyes peered in through a window. The women and children became hysterical, while Wamsley frantically phoned the police. It was 9 p.m. Hundreds of people, many of them armed to the teeth, were less than a mile away, and would not know about the episode until they read it in the local papers the following evening. By the time the police reached the house, the creature was gone. But for Miss Bennett, this was just the beginning of a long and frightening series of adventures. 
So yeah, she dropped her baby, dude. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to just call that part out, but she dude. just she just what dropped the kid. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> She's How do you like admit a... that? How dude, do you admit like I know. I know. You know because if she doesn't admit it, her husband's gonna be like, nope, she dropped our child. <laughs> well no, she like she couldn't even be like you know, honey, why is the baby on the fucking floor? I put it down no, gently he, just he in case it. I was going to get scared and paralyzed. <laughs> Dude, she's and got he, a third option. Everyone else is running on the fight or flight. <laughs> she's got a third option. She goes straight to sacrifice. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. Whew. Jesus. All right, Wes, we're going back to Wood. <clears throat> Our boy Woodrow Derenberger. Who? Right. Wood Woodrow Derenberger, the guy who had the encounter with Mr. Cold. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, Woodrow Derenberger was living in Bedlam, a group of local UFO enthusiasts representing the Washington-based National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, NICAP, largely a lobby urging Congre congressional UFO investigations, visited or phoned him daily, raising his ire by ordering him not to talk to anyone else about his experiences. His farm looked like the TNT area. Every night, streams of cars would park all over the property he was renting, and people would sit quietly in the dark, watching, waiting. Some brought guns and hiked into the nearby hills to sit behind trees. Widespread rumors said the UFOs planned to come back and land on the farm. Some of Woody's visitors were determined to bag themselves a spaceman. In the midst of all the chaos, a black Volkswagen drove, drove up, parked, and a tanned man in a neat black suit got out. He and Woody walked casually to the edge of the porch and talked. After a few minutes, the man got back in his Volkswagen and drove off. The great hunters continued to sit in the bitter cold behind their trees, their eyes anxiously searching the skies. According to Derenberger, he had been suffering from a stomach ailment for some time. Mr. Cold gave him a vial of medicine, he claimed, which cured his problem instantly. Cold now had a first name. Indrid. I-N-D-R-I-D. Indrid Cold. And Cold is spelled C-O-L-D. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, <clears throat> as I'm sure you are aware, Indrid Cold's kind of a fan favorite. And there was a whole book written about Woody Derenberger's... Oh, yeah, I know. ...life and meetings with Indrid Cold. Dude, by Woody Derenberger goes fucking... Dude, he goes off the fucking rails with this shit. Wes. He gets impregnated by aliens. He yes. he goes to six different alien worlds. I'm not kidding. Yep. It actually happens. Yep. He's dude like he went off the rails. Yep. All true. All true. I'm not I'm not gonna deny it. I mean, hell. He, he wrote I think when did his book come out? I'm not entirely sure, Jake. I just know that. Ah ha ha! It's called Beyond Lanulos, Our Fifty Years with Injured Cold. <clears throat> it's written by Tanya yes. Derenberger, daughter of Woody Derenberger, and continues the story that her father began fifty years ago. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this was published in 2016, so it's got some got some other stuff to it. I don't know. Maybe it's worth a read. I read this. I thought it sucked. I would not recommend it to anybody. I mean, it's okay. It's okay. Look, it's okay if you can get past like. No, it's not. It was written in the seventies, and John Keel was born in the thirties. 
like 1930. Yeah. Um, Yee-hoo! Yeah. Yee. Um, anyway, so across the Ohio River, almost directly opposite the TNT area, a music teacher, Mrs. Roy Gross, was, aw- was wakened by the barking of her dog at 4.45 a.m. on the morning of no- November 17th, 1960. Not another fucking dog. It was unusual for her little pet to bark late at night, so she got up to investigate. The moon was out and was very bright, she recalled. She looked out the kitchen window and saw an enormous object hovering at treetop level in a field on the other side of Route 7. It was circular, the size of a small house, and brilliantly illuminated. It seemed to be divided into sections glowing with dazzlingly bright red and green lights. Quote, I was stunned, she said. Before she could wake up her husband, the object made a zigzag motion and suddenly disappeared. She did not mention the sighting to anyone outside her immediate family until weeks later. That afternoon, a 17-year-old boy was driving down Route 7, not far from Mrs. Gross's home in Cheshire, Ohio, when a huge bird suddenly dove at his car and pursued him for a mile or so. On the 18th, two firemen from Point Pleasant, Paul Yoder and Benjamin Enox, were in the TNT area when they encountered a huge bird with big red eyes. Quote, It was definitely a bird, they stated flatly, but it was huge. We'd never seen anything like it. Everyone was now seeing Mothman, or the bird, as it seemed. Sightings were reported in Mason, Lincoln, Logan, Kenowa, and Nicholas counties. People were traveling for hundreds of miles to sit in the cold TNT area all night, hoping to glimpse the creature. Those who were lucky enough to see it vowed they never wanted to see it again. It evoked unspeakable terrors. Like flying saucers, it delighted in chasing cars, a very unbird-like habit. And, this is John Keel speaking, not me, it seemed to have a penchant for scaring females who were menstruating. Another UFO, hairy monster peculiarity. Wes, just take a minute. How'd he know? How'd he know? Do you think what? he... How, how did he know that a lot of the females who got scared were menstruating? How do you think he knew? D- don't... Don't... Don't bring me in. I don't want to theorize that. He 100% point blank asks them. What kind of fucking douche just looks at the lady and is like, Oh, wait, are you serious? Giant Mothman? Were you menstruating at the time? Female? I swear to God. You know what John Keel would be doing? John Keel would be downvoting his own book on Reddit if he were if he were alive today. <laughs> that dude is a fucking menace. Jesus. He'd tip his hat and be like, My God. I'll protect, I'll protect you from the moth man. And then he'll do that thing like Mamela does where she like throws her tiara but with his fedora and it'll just flop diddly for ground. Stop. Stop. <laughs> anyway. Jesus. So five teenagers driving along Campbell's Creek on the night of November 20th got the shock of their lives when their headlight, headlights bounced off a man-sized bird-like creature standing beside a rock quarry. There you go. It turned and scurried into the woods. Quote, Nobody believes us because we're teenagers, Brenda Jones of Point Lake complained, but it was really scary. An elderly businessman in Point Pleasant found Mothman standing on his front lawn. He stepped outside to see why his dog was barking and confronted a six or seven foot tall gray apparition with flaming eyes. He stood transfixed for several minutes, unaware of the passage of time. Suddenly the creature flew off and he staggered back into his house. He was so pale and shaken his wife thought he was having a heart attack. Huh. 
I like. I don't. I don't mean to speculate here. But are some of these quote unquote sightings maybe not plausible? I guess is a good word because if I mean everybody's talking about Mothman, so you know everybody is obviously seeing Mothman. I can't air quote mm-hmm. too directly, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I know so that. like. How do you weed through the possible true sightings and the obvious bullshit ones? Well, like, is I mean, look, if that's any that I thought were bullshit, I didn't include. And Dude, he well, seems to look, have supreme it, confidence in his own ability to tell whether something. Of is. course he does. He goes straight to women and asks them to their face if they're menstruating. This guy has no shame. So yeah. my curiosity is, what if? And yes, I'm going back to this lady. What if this lady who dropped her kid was like, what did the husband, do we know if the husband saw Mothman? Yeah. Yeah. They all saw it. So the husband confirms. Yeah. I saw Mothman. It wasn't just like he walked out. (laughs) It wasn't like the wife was just outside trips, drops the fucking baby. And he's like, what happened? Oh, God. Like she just stands, she just freezes. She's like, maybe if I just play, pretend I'm frozen. <laughs> like, like I don't know. Just silently offering the child, like, take it. I don't <laughs> want it. <laughs> oh my gosh. So like, I, I'm just, I'm just saying, it, it's completely possible in my eyes that the lady is just, you know, out on her porch. She sneezes, drops the kid. It makes a thud. The husband hears it. He walks out. He's like, what happened? And she just freezes. Like, like you know, if I stay still, he won't know. And then, like, he just has okay. to convince all his neighbors and friends that, no, my wife definitely isn't a fucking dumbass. She didn't no, drop no, the no, kid. No, no, no. It was it was Mothman. No, 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 no. Because all the kids were in hysterics when, when he called the cops. He called the cops while Mothman was, like, looking in the window, which means it was present the whole time, which means when he went out to get her and the baby, Mothman was there. According to his story, at least. I guess it is technically possible that he was just, like, <laughs> he's just organizing all the kids, like, hey, shut up, shut, shut the fuck up. All right. Now did you just like, crying? like, shut up. You two, you two fucking yell scared. right now. <laughs> all right. Honey, you, you do the same. Bite, you, you bite therapy. the other one, all right? Bite him. Bite that fucker. Um, and then, and then he Make him cry. Like, yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's um, it was Mothman. Yes, he dropped my baby. Right. I mean, my wife dropped my. I mean, <laughs> my wife saw Mothman. It's all that about a baby. It's not about you what you get here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, you ready? Dude, that's fantastic. Yeah. All right. On November twenty fourth. Four people, two adults and two children, were driving past the TNT area when they saw a giant flying creature with red eyes. Their report added to the growing chaos. Now thousands of people were pouring into the old munitions site nightly, some traveling from hundreds of miles away. Television crews and newsmen from other states hovered around the old generator plant, hoping to glimpse the monster. Some visitors divided their time between the and Woodrow Derenberger's farm in Mineral Wells. Mothman was not to be outsmarted, however. He staged his appearances with clever showmanship, popping up in unexpected places in front of witnesses who had previously been skeptical. At 7.15 a.m. on November 25th, a young shoe salesman named Thomas Urey was driving along Route 62, just north of the TNT area, when he noticed a tall, gray, man-like figure standing in a field by the road. Suddenly, it spread a pair of wings, Urey said, and took off straight up like a helicopter. 
It veered over my convertible and began going in circles three telephone poles high. He stepped on the gas as the creature zoomed down over his vehicle. It kept flying right over my car, even though I was doing 75. Mr. Yuri sped into Point Pleasant and went straight to the sheriff's office, thoroughly panicked. I never saw anything like it, he confided to Miss Hire later. I was so scared, I just couldn't go to work that day. This thing had a wingspan every bit of ten feet. It could be a bird, but I certainly never saw one like it. I was afraid it was going to come down right on top of me. The old familiar symptom, unreasonable terror, took hold of him. I've never had that feeling before. A weird kind of fear, he said. That fear gripped you and held you. Somehow the best way to explain it would be to say that the whole thing just wasn't right. I know that may not make sense, but it's the only way I can put into words what I felt. Um, so there were also some weird birds spotted nearby, but nah, we don't want to talk about that. Scientists were like, it's probably a crane, and everyone's like, no, it's not a crane, you bitch. Um, yeah. It was like a rare Jake. crane. Jake. What? Jake. What was the? Uh, don't get on my ass about fucking changing the subject. But what was the name of the bad guy in Monsters Inc. The lizard dude. Oh, him. I don't, I don't remember. Is it something I need to look up? I just I, well, I didn't want to be slapping the keyboard while we're Randall recording. Randall Boggs. I just played by Steve. Randall, Steve. that's the name. All right. Anyway, sorry. You can go back to what we were talking <laughs> about. That was so random. I know it just was bugging me. Like, like most of this recording, I'm trying to remember what his damn name is. That explains why you've been so, well, idiotic. Oh wait, it's just you. I'm sorry. My bad. That was mean. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was so loud. How many times in one episode do I have to quit, Jake? I'm sorry. I'm How many sorry. times? I'll stop. I'll stop. How what are we? Time? What are we? An hour in? We're an hour and ten minutes. Oh god, I'm a genius. Well, how about this? We'll um, we'll finish up. We'll finish up with this story here. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. What? Smart. On the evening of November twenty sixth, a housewife in Saint Albans, a suburb Saint Albans, whatever Albans, a suburb of Charleston, West Virginia, found Mothman standing on her front lawn. Mrs. Ruth Foster was one of the very few witnesses who claimed to see a face on the creature. Quote, it was standing on the lawn beside the porch, Mrs. Foster said. It was tall with big red eyes that popped out of its face. My husband is six feet one and this bird looked about the same height or a little shorter maybe. It had a funny little face. I didn't see any beak. All I saw were those big red poppy eyes. I screamed and ran back into the house. My brother-in-law went out to look, but it was gone. The next morning, the winged phantom pursued young Connie Carpenter near the... Oh, hold on. We're skipping ahead. We're skipping ahead. We're skipping ahead. Yeah, uh, yeah. Don't skip ahead like that. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, I forgot to, I forgot to, I forgot to stop reading. Because he doesn't, like, break the shit up and it's out of... He's referencing a story he told earlier on in the book for some fucking reason, despite it taking place after this one. Anyway. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into... Again, who let this guy write a fucking book? It's terrible. I'll just watch the movies instead. Don't worry. Or movie. Uh, I, don't know. I hear the movie's pretty good, but I'm... Spoiler alert. In the movie, it's heavily implied that Indrid Cold is Mothman. <clears throat> oh. I feel like people Maybe. Like, I feel like people would have been like, yeah, man, when I shine my headlights at him, there were two 
big red reflectors and then like a bunch of little white reflectors from that weird fucking grin. Those chompers were just reflecting well, 90% of the light right back at us. I'm just like, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, I guess it's possible, right? Yeah, the book goes really, I mean, yeah, I guess anything's possible from, from if you take John Keel's word for it. I don't personally believe injured cold exists. I mean, because like, what? I don't believe injured cold existed. Oh, so you I think would... that the the you think it's just made up? I, I think maybe he hallucinated it, but it's it's because his whoa, family whoa. claims they have, his family in his book claim they met injured cold. I think his daughter even says in the book that injured cold was at Woody's funeral. Um. Uh, yeah, they do say that. Which sounds to me like either they're in on it, or I, I think they're in on it. I think smile. it became. I, I think, if, dude, if he could find someone with the cashew crushers like those, I give him credit <laughs> for what he did. Uh, but I think his family was in on it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but anyway, that's that's part one. We'll we'll get on to part two next time. Uh, maybe part three, or even if if this keeps going at this rate, part four. Um, cause we, Wes, we are actually 36 out of 135 pages. Oh Luckily, Jesus. I'm not going to include half of that. Uh, and a lot of it's men in black stuff, which. Yeah. I, I really can't wait for the men in black stuff. That shit is so fun. Dude, it is ridiculously funny in this story. Actually, like a lot of the stuff he puts. It is. I think we. It's just so preposterous. Oh, yeah. When we talked about, I believe it was Black Eyed Kids, we mentioned the Men in Black. And I feel like the best way to, to do the Men in Black is to talk about Mothman and the Men in Black. Because the big Men in Black stories come from the Point Pleasant Mothman incident and yeah. what comes after it. And and it's just, it, they're so goofy and ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm excited for that. That's my favorite part There's of the story. There's a lot of stuff I'm not going to include from the book. Like, he he has a lot of contact with unrelated people who had nothing to do with the Point Pleasant thing, except for the fact that they kind of said similar things to stuff people from Point Pleasant. or you know, So, spoiler. John Keel, at one point, ha like, over time, he comes into contact with people he calls contactees, which are people who claim to have recurring yeah. contact with extraterrestrials, whatever, whatever you want to call them. And a lot of the times yeah. they'll say things they, they you know like similar things to each other. They'll know things they shouldn't know. Like at one point he gets he gets stuck in an elevator because of a blackout, and the next day he gets a call from one of his contactees who's like, "Yeah, tell him, tell him, the uh, entity in in this case was a a, a a being named Apple. He's like, tell Apple wants to tell you that he thought it was funny he got stuck in an elevator." Um. And he's like, Jake, it's, it's literally, it. it's just a couple thousand Sean Spencers from Psych. They're just like, yeah, dude. let's fuck with them as badly well, as possible. That's all it is. So, They're just people fucking with each other. I so think it's hilarious. He's like, John Keel at least claims that his, he, the way he would operate is he would interview everyone separately and never tell anyone anything he didn't have to about the other people. So he, he basically tried to eliminate any potential information contamination, which I do respect a little bit. Um, but the problem is everyone around him, like even the people he's investigating with, who he trusts, he doesn't tell them either. Like Mary Hire, he doesn't tell her shit. 
Um, and it, like, it gets to the point. I don't. I don't want to spoil too much of it. But again, there's no corroboration. Yeah, there's no corroboration except for the fact that these, like, he could just be making this up. Um, exactly. And, yep. Uh. Okay. All right. I'm gonna say something. All right, Wes, stick with me. Uh, John whoa! Hey! Hey! Starts oh, getting all right. warnings from these beings from several of them at the same time, mm-hmm. all corroborating the same stuff. Stuff like the Pope was going to yeah. be assassinated in the Middle East. And then the world would be plunged into three days of darkness, and that would be the start of the end times. Uh, uh-huh. He also said, uh, he also got a warning. Um, he got uh, a miscellaneous Jake. warning. Sorry. I'm sorry, I'm just raising my hand real quick. Um, none of that happened, though. Uh, yeah, but an attack very similar, except the Pope survived, happened like three years later. After, like, so he writes the book as they told him like a man with a black knife in like black clothing will attack this Pope at this airport. And then the Pope went to that airport at the exact time they said the attack didn't happen. Then four years later at a different airport, the same d- description of the guy, black knife, black clothes, tried to stab the Pope and was stopped before he could. Um, so, okay. All but right. they, they also say things like um, they told him, apparently, this is all stuff he says in his book years after all this shit has happened. He says they told him, like, Robert Kennedy should avoid hotels. For reference, Robert Kennedy was assassinated in a hotel in 1968. Um, yeah. Which... Yeah, but I mean... They also apparently predicted Martin Luther King's assassination, which I don't necessarily believe. Um, I think he just threw that shit in his, in his book. I think just, he's making that shit up. I don't believe any of it. I don't believe any of it. It's just well, convenient okay. that it happens years later. So the way he writes it, they also warned him that there was a coming disaster on December 15th, 1967. They said that when the president Everybody says that flipped a switch. What? Keep going, keep going. He said that when the president would flip the switch for like the the you know big Christmas tree or whatever because it's December fifteenth. Uh, don't ask me. I, I read it like earlier today and immediately forgot it. But he says that they told him that when that when he would flip that switch, all the power in the U.S. would go off at once and it would be like a huge disaster and it would be like it would be awful, right? So he like prepped for it like a doomsday prepper, and then. That day, yeah. at that exact time, as he flipped the switch, nothing happened. Like, he was watching it live. Yeah. Then, he got a call. Yep. And when he answered the call, there was a completely separate disaster that we will talk about later because it happened in, in Point Pleasant. And yep. anyone with Google can just be like, Point Pleasant, yep. natural disaster in 1967 now. But don't do not do that. Um, and, like... He claims that Mary Heyer, who died before this book was published, like was having dreams about the disaster before it happened. But because he was such a fucking idiot and didn't tell her about it, they didn't piece together that the disaster would be a completely separate thing. So he he basically acts like he could have saved everyone and fucked up, which I don't believe. But yeah, that's this is the shit I had. I don't believe it either. Anyway. No, I, I truly think that a good deal of this is like, you know, oh, well, I had 
I had heard about this or had a prediction about this, uh, but this was years ago, so I just yeah. I chalked it up to being wrong. Like, shut the fuck up. Well, he said, Why'd you write a book? He said that, Why like, did you write a book? He said that, like, the um, the December 15th one was the first one he truly believed. Like, every other, all of the other ones he didn't believe. Um, even as they kind of, some of them happened. Some of them did come to pass. But, like, I shit unfolded. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he claims, at least, that this was the first one he believed. And he, he comes to the conclusion that the phenomena was basically just fucking with him. They were waiting until he was coming up with what he thought was going on. And then they just flipped the switch on him. So that they could just, like, basically that they enjoyed fucking with him. Um, I think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think he's probably wrong. Let's say that. Off, off I think he's an off egotistical air, jackass. Off, off air, Wes, I will have some comments. But I, as, as it is, we're about 100, sorry, an hour. Speak from a chest, in. Jake. Do it. We're, we're an hour 22 hey. minutes in, Wes. I'll talk, maybe, maybe in the we're next We're too episode. small to get canceled. If people go on Twitter.com half capital H, talentless capital T, and tell me, I want to hear your full unedited thoughts on John Keel. I'll put on an episode specifically. Shut up. Um, sorry. Anyway. Wes, you want to wrap us up? Me? Yeah, wrap us up. Oh, um... I, I don't know, Jake. Uh, have I? Yes, Oh, <laughs> sorry. I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm playing solitaire right now, so I was like zone out, trying to think of what you meant. I don't do this. So... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not playing solitaire yet. It's still loading. <clears throat> All right. Well, with that, I believe that is Mothman Part One, Season Two, Episode One, baby. Woo! We're back. Have talentless. Woo! And um, in the coming future. We are working on uh, finalizing the gaming channel, Half Talentless Gaming. We will make sure that has content so you can actually find it on YouTube. And uh, I think that's I think that's it, Jake. We're back. Yeah. So with that, I've been Wes. I've been Jake. Wait, wait. We should plug the socials. First, and right? this has been. Oh, oh yeah. Um, yeah what okay. socials do we have again? Twitter.com/slash half capital H talentless capital T that's how you can find us on Twitter facebook.com half talentless podcast all capitalized no uh, there's there's no dash in between half and talentless as it is sometimes typed uh, that was that was on me I, I don't know how to change it I don't want to so yeah I've been Jake and I've been Wes and this has been the half talentless podcast thanks guys oh.